Welcome to Ryan's Chats With, a podcast where we get to speak with leaders and game changers all around our community and all around our nation. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, which means it's time for a special edition of the Ryan Chats With podcast, The Mental Health Check-In, with our friends over at Brooklyn. Well, hey, what is up, guys? It's Ryan Smetzer, and welcome to another episode of our special edition of the Ryan Chats With podcast, our Mental Health Check-In. I'm so excited to get to talk to Carly Hensley today. We are talking about all things anxiety. You know, I saw a stat today that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults in the U.S. ages 18 or older, or 18.1% of the population every year. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable, yet only 36.9% of those suffering receive treatment. So we're going to talk about anxiety, all the different types, how this past year has affected anxiety, how to treat it, how to diagnose it, and how we can break down the stigma that we don't talk about anxiety or that we don't go and get help for our anxiety. And so I'm just so excited to get some great information and a wealth of knowledge from Carly Hensley. Carly, great to have you here today. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's start right off the bat with a big one, the types of anxiety. There are so many common types of anxiety, but I feel like, you know, it's kind of hard to get them, keep them organized and keep them gathered up and know exactly which ones are not only legitimate, but which ones are ones that we should definitely know about. Sure. So the main two types of anxiety that we often see are your generalized anxiety disorder and your social anxiety disorder. So your social anxiety disorder really has to do with the social situations you're putting yourself in, being in larger crowds, where your generalized anxiety disorder is just everything and anything that has to do with anxiety. Uh, There are other diagnoses that kind of tailor in with anxiety, specifically like obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, That's when your anxiety turns more into compulsions and this great desire to have rituals or routines or a very demanding way of making sure that your day functions, um, which really turns a lot of people's anxiety into a downward spiral. Mm, Gotcha. And, you know, obviously over this last year, uh, there has been, you know, even to the point where they've named, you know, I think at times pandemic anxiety disorder, um, you know, the pandemic has impacted a lot of people with regards to anxiety, whether it is brought up anxiety or it's allowed them to be able to obviously face it head on, um, you know, even though maybe they have been experiencing it before everything that has started with the pandemic over this last year. Um, so tell us just in a nutshell, you know, how has the pandemic affected anxiety as a whole, um, but has you know gotten to the point to where there's almost a specific anxiety disorder that's tied to all of the you know trauma and grief that has happened over this last year? So when COVID first started, um, the anxiety levels were pretty much through the roof because there was this fear of the unknown. You know, you kind of come into this unknown disease, unknown circumstances of how you can get it, how you may not get it, the death rate and whether you're going to be another number in that or not. Um, So it really targeted just about every single thing that you could possibly worry about and just kind of wrapped it all into one. And you were just kind of expected to figure it out. Um, So when we first noticed COVID was becoming bigger in the United States and really targeting this particular area. We noticed more of the social anxiety and 
the fear of someone's life, uh, which kind of spiraled into this big generalized anxiety disorder. As far as the notion of a pandemic-specific anxiety, we can put a lot of labels on anxiety, for example, a situational anxiety. So a particular situation makes me anxious. So to say a pandemic-related anxiety is just that we are associating all of these feelings that we have on the inside that are producing anxiety specifically related to the pandemic. Gotcha. And, and I've noticed too, you know, a lot of people having uh, conversations online about their anxiety that's tied to what is to come. Um, right. You know, everybody, we've been looking forward to these last several months, the light at the end of the tunnel, things yes. reopening, you know, things like mask mandates being lifted, event restrictions, all of those different things. But now we are entering that time where it's like, hey, we're getting pretty darn close to that, where restrictions are starting to get lifted, things are starting to get loosened up, and you're starting to even see like concert festivals advertising, and you know the Jonas Brothers saying they're going on tour in two or three months, and you know you're seeing a lot more family reunions, people reuniting with their friends, but there are also a lot of people that are super anxious about that that overarching thing right, right there of hey, we're jumping back in at 100 miles per hour. Um, So what would you say to those people that are kind of in that spot where they're seeing all of this big light at the end of the tunnel stuff and are, you know, feeling pretty nervous, feeling pretty anxious as, you know, maybe it is a social anxiety kind of thing that they're moving into. What would you say to them? So I think the biggest thing to kind of look over is, COVID came at us kind of out of nowhere and kind of hit us rather hard. And we went from these minimal restrictions to this notion that if we shut everything down for two weeks, it's all just going to go away. So there's not really been one consistent statement or one consistent way that has really made anybody feel positive about what they can do to either not contract COVID, not spread COVID, or not have this underlying fear that the moment that they sneeze in a crowded space, everybody's going to look at them like they have four heads. Um, So as we process through that, and, you know, for the longest time, I don't even know how many months or whatever it's been since we've had to wear masks, all of a sudden it was like, you don't have to do it anymore. And there hasn't really been any clear understanding why all of a sudden it's okay. Uh, You know, they talk about the amount of people that have been vaccinated. But if you look at the statistics just for Maryland, we're kind of under the radar as far as many other states, as, as far as how many adults have received the vaccine. And that's a personal choice, too, that causes a lot of anxiety. Uh, because it seems, you know, things are kind of tailoring. Well, if you have the vaccine, you can do X, Y, and Z. If you don't, you still have to kind of go this other route. So when people are moving into this mask mandation being lifted and being able to gather in social situations, the best thing to do is really just to check in with yourself. Uh, Make sure that you physically feel that you can be in a crowd and not have to worry about the other people around you, um, what it is that you need to feel safe in different environments, much like you would want to know what you feel safe in when you went out to a club before COVID happened, or you went out into big gatherings before amusement parks, any of those things, what you needed to feel safe then shouldn't be any different than what you need to feel safe now. 
Gotcha. And, you know, over this past year, obviously, a lot of people have had an opportunity to almost the word gut or the phrase gut check is probably not the right term for it. But they've had that opportunity to almost kind of discover if they they are experiencing anxiety or depression for a lot of disorders. And so for somebody who may be coming to you and saying, hey, I think I'm experiencing anxiety not entirely sure if, if I legitimately am. So, you know, want to get that double check. What are the questions that you ask um, whenever you are diagnosing an anxiety disorder? So a lot of times we look for how it's impacting their daily functioning, uh, whether that's an inability to go to school, inability to work, uh, inability to just get up and, and get your day started. If you're an adult with kids, being able to get them uh, moving, facilitating their online education, if that's where they're at. Um, so a lot of times we start there. What has changed in your daily life uh, that you're feeling differently now? We also want to discuss if there's any feelings of restlessness or nervous feelings, worry feelings, because a lot of times people associate that nervous butterfly, butterfly feeling in their stomach with how they're telling us that they have anxiety. You know, I just have this pit in the bottom of my stomach that I always feel like something's wrong. Um, that's typically what they're saying to us when we're asking about that nervousness or that worry. We're also assessing how often they're sleeping or if they're not sleeping at all. Insomnia is quite common with anxiety because you just can't get your mind to slow down. We'll sometimes talk about different racing thoughts um, and what those thoughts might be. What can they not control? Um, when they're laying down to try to go to sleep and what are they constantly ruminating on to figure out if this is in fact anxiety. And a lot of times just their general expression of some sort of fear that they really just can't let go of. It's holding on to something and trying to somehow gain some sort of control or insight into that um, that typically leads us to believe that there's definitely some anxiety going on. Mm-hmm. And as far as stress is concerned, is, is stress necessarily a type of anxiety disorder or is it something that can either lead to or cause anxiety? Because I've kind of seen a little bit of both in just general research that like, right. hey, stress is an anxiety disorder. And then I've seen also, hey, stress can seriously cause anxiety. Yes. Uh, or is it both? Kind of how, how so, does that Right. So stress is kind of like a twofold. Stress can cause anxiety. Um, and then it can be the other way around. Being anxious can cause additional stress uh, because a lot of the time when you are that anxious, you're looking to gain some sort of control within your own world. And that stresses you out even more when you can't do that. You know, you don't have the answers. You don't have the ability to make the changes. So then you stress about, well, how do I make a difference? How do I feel better about myself? So it really goes hand in hand. I don't know that I have ever met somebody Um, child, adolescent, or adult, that the two aren't somehow paired together, where stress is associated with the anxiety or the other way around, the anxiety is associated with the stress. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as if somebody is experiencing anxiety, um, when is it time to come to you guys or to come to a source of, of help or treatment? We always encourage people to get help as soon as they are recognizing that something's going on. Just like you would seek out medical attention, you know, after a few days of a cough or a few days of a fever, we would want you to reach out, you know, in the same time frame when you're feeling that things just aren't right. 
a lot of times the earlier you can get in and and seek some sort of treatment, whether that's just talk therapy, you really start to focus and can kind of break down what's been going on instead of constantly letting it build. Um, sometimes when we let it build too long, we almost forget what started all of it to begin with. And, you know, trying to break through that to get to the underlying cause um, can sometimes be really stressful and cause even more anxiety and tension just trying to get to the root of everything. So we definitely encourage anybody that's feeling any type of way that's not normal to seek attention sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And then when they come to you, um, you know, saying, Hey, I'm, I'm experiencing anxiety, uh, you know, or, you know, maybe signs of OCD, um, what necessarily, as far as the treatment process, what are the different steps that you guys take for treatment for anxiety? Sure. So the biggest part of it is talk therapy, meeting with a therapist and really talking out a lot of the things that you're feeling, a lot of the things that you might be hung up on, um, triggers to the anxiety. Some people know their triggers and other people don't. In both ways, that's okay. You don't necessarily have to know what's causing you to feel anxious. Um, we're not expecting to hear that. You know, it's it's almost the opposite. When somebody tells us that they have a trigger, we, we're not prepared for that. We're prepared for like, I don't really know, um, you know, why I've been feeling this way. Um, usually our adults can tell us sooner, like, this is what's been happening and this is why I'm feeling anxious. Um, so we definitely start with a lot of talk therapy. And from there, we can go into medication management if we feel that that's the next best thing. Um, we can do, in some places, we offer groups that help with different social anxieties or um, just generalized anxieties. There's lots of support groups that we try to encourage people to participate in. And that seems to work best for everybody. And so, you know, we've been talking a lot about anxiety and, you know, how it really impacts those over the age of 18. Those are in our adult generation. Um, we also know that anxiety affects the younger generation as well. Those under the age of 18, adolescents. And, you know, we've seen a lot of that in the last year, especially with regards to the pandemic. You know, a lot of children have, you know, had a massive change of scenery within the last year. Um, but just in general, tell us, you know, how anxiety impacts the younger generation and how you guys diagnose and treat that too. Because I feel like, you know, somebody over the age of 18 might be a little bit more inclined to, you know, reach out and say, Hey, I'm dealing with anxiety. Then, you know, obviously with kids, you know, they may not step up and say it themselves. And it also might be hard for say a parent to identify, Oh, my child is experiencing anxiety. Right. So kids are super resilient, which is why we sometimes miss the fact that they are experiencing some great anxiety. Um, you know, a few days ago, I was dropping one of my children off at school and I, I saw a little girl getting out of the car, <clears throat> excuse me, and she forgot her mask. And I watched the panic set over her face as she, you know, was trying to cover her mouth and, you know, ducking her head because she knew that this wasn't the new norm for her. And I really thought, wow, you know, these kids are experiencing some great stress um, in relation to COVID and how their worlds have kind of flipped upside down. Of course, I have no idea what grade she was in, but we're talking about an elementary student. So it could be anything from pre-K to fifth grade. And this was her mentality. Like, I have to cover my entire face because I don't have a mask. And am I going to get in trouble? You know, so the feelings I could see just in her eyes were enough to to say, wow, there's definitely, there's definitely something going on here. So when we, when we talk about our kids, a lot of times we see it 
come out in almost an aggressive manner. Um, so you think maybe they're just restless and need to exert a ton of energy because they've been cooped up, which is all very true. Uh, but a lot of times they don't really know what to do with that nervous feeling that sits in their belly. So it comes out in other ways. It comes out in aggression or they just completely shut down. And you'll notice that maybe they're sleeping a lot more or maybe they are looking for more of their caregiver's attention, um, you know, coming in and out of their bedroom in the middle of the night because they can't sleep or um, not not really eating the same way that they used to. Maybe their favorite foods now are not interesting to them. So it, their symptoms and their way of expressing anxiety definitely differs from an adult. Um, and so when kids come to us, that's what we're looking at. You know, are you, what are your favorite foods? Do you still like to eat those? Um, how are you sleeping? Who are your friends at school? Because a lot of times we'll see kids that are anxious. They tend to start isolating from their friends as well. Um, because they just can't quite get rid of these feelings that are going on. Um, they're often more tearful. So we're, you know, then we're asking, how often are you crying? Is this new for you? Or is this just how you deal with any life stressors? Um, and really trying to engage them in a conversation that talks about that stress, what is stressing them out to get them to provide us any type of information as to whether or not we're looking at an anxiety disorder. Yeah. And, you know, obviously this in our previous episode, we, we talked about self-care and how that, you know, obviously helps and affects mental health um, in, in an incredibly positive way. Um, but specifically pertaining to anxiety, what self-care tactics have you seen um, work really well to help treat anxiety almost as kind of a, I want to say as a natural way, um, but, you know, that, that helps really with, with either keeping it from, you know, being a major factor, um, but also just, just helps treat anxiety as a whole. Sure. So when we think of coping skills, there are, of course, hundreds of coping skills that people use in everyday situations. But when we're talking about it from a therapeutic perspective, we also try to make it that a coping skill can be used at any time during your day. So I could be using a coping skill during this meeting. I could be using a coping skill while I'm working, while I'm in school. And we want kids and, and other adults and children and adolescents to be able to do the same thing. We want them to be able to take those coping skills and use them at any given time. So of course, the biggest one is always deep breathing. And some people question, how does taking a deep breath really work for me? Um, but it's not so much on taking the deep breath, but it's counting in the process because you're changing your thought process in that moment. So you're focusing on how many, how many seconds you can hold in that breath and how many seconds it takes you to release that breath. So now you're focused on one counting and two, also what your body is doing, because you're almost like, how long can I actually hold this breath in and how long can I actually blow this breath out? So then you've changed your thought process. So when you take those big, deep breaths, whether you're taking five of them or 10 of them, you're actually just changing the thoughts that are ruminating in your head that you've allowed them to take up space long enough. Now we're going to kind of shift gears and do something different. Another thing that we really encourage is more like grounding techniques, recognizing things that are around you by using your senses, whether that's five things that I can touch around me, five things that I can smell five things that I can hear. So you're, you're again, asking your thought process to shift. So now I'm going to say, oh, I'm touching my chair. I'm touching a pencil. So you are acknowledging what you're touching, what you're hearing, what you're smelling, and sometimes even what you're tasting. 
um, to really just focus everything on something completely different. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I think those are, you know, some really great tactics because I think a lot of people, you know, especially even as they start to acknowledge their anxiety, um, you know, as they're getting, you know, moving forward into that spot where they're reaching out to you guys for help, for treatment, um, you know, those things that can be done at home and, you know, really for all of us to be able to do at home, I think really would just, you know, help not only combat that, that anxiety, but course, that big word of stress that, you know, jumps in and can really um, be an impact on anxiety as well. So Carly, thank you so much. I mean, you are a, a wealth of knowledge on this. And, and like I said, it's, it's that opportunity for us to just bust down that stigma that we have to hide our anxiety or that we have to like keep it from being a conversation. Um, and that's, that's our main goal here is to obviously, you know, be able to encourage folks that, Hey, if you're experiencing anxiety, go get the help that, you know, that, that you deserve to have for sure. So, so thank you so much just for, for all of your help in this. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening, guys. If you want any resources on any of the topics discussed during our mental health check-in series, be sure to visit our station websites or brooklane.org.